Let us pray. Open our lips, O God, that our mouths might proclaim your praise. Amen. What if the transfiguration story is our story? If, as we have said many times before, the, the first part of the liturgical year from Advent through the season of Easter is about God being manifested in the flesh of Jesus, and the second half of the year from Pentecost through into the fall is the manifestation of God in the flesh of the body of Christ, then the stories of Jesus at some point are our stories. And in fact, the book of Acts is not even, even covert in having so many of the stories of Jesus be replayed through the early church, through the early followers of Jesus. What if the transfiguration is our story? In a few moments, we'll be singing a hymn where we talk about being changed from glory into glory. Present time. Transfiguration. Glory. What might that mean? A little context is always helpful. Just before this story, Jesus has begun to tell the disciples that he's on his way to Jerusalem and that he will be killed. And so they are on their way to Jerusalem when this transfiguration takes place, where the three are invited up on the top of the hill. And of course, all the connections that you heard in the first reading about Moses going up on the hill and the cloud and the fire and the six days and all these connections again of God's appearing if we read a few more verses later when Moses comes down from the hill, the people will tell him, put a veil on your face because you're too radiant. We can't take it. And so they are up on the mountain and they, they see this radiance of Jesus and they see Moses and Elijah. And at first, they're excited. Peter, evidencing the excitement, let's build three booths for you. And, and, and part of that is probably Peter not knowing when to be quiet, but part of it is also connected to the Feast of Booths of the Israelites, which was kind of the last harvest festival of the year, where they would put booths out because they were in the fields just 24 hours a day, just working the fields to get all the harvest in. But those booths were also symbolic of their thanksgiving to God because of all that they had. The fullness is here in this harvest. Our life is here because of this harvest. And in some respects, Peter's saying, we're seeing the fullness. It's appropriate to build some booths here. But then all of a sudden they get scared. They hear the voice. I'd have probably gotten scared too if I heard the God speaking through the clouds. But it's also significant because it parallels the baptismal story where there is a cloud and a voice, but only Jesus hears the voice in Matthew's account of the baptism. But here now the disciples are hearing the voice firsthand. So perhaps part of their fear is realizing we're not just hearing God through Moses and Elijah and this current rabbi, but now we're hearing God directly. What does that mean? And if this is our story, what does that mean? And might that too be a bit frightening, to be that connected, that intimate with God, hearing the voice of God directly? There's a great scene in the movie, The Last Temptation of Christ. Jesus has been doing some teaching, and the crowds are following him as he's walking down, and you hear this internal conversation as he's kind of getting a sense of who he is and what he might be about. 
And inside, he says to himself, what if I say the wrong thing? And then after a pause, he says, what if I say the right thing? And you see in his face the sense of, if I am that connected to God, and I say the right thing, what does that power mean? To be that intimate, that connected to the Spirit. It is as every bit awe-inspiring as it is exciting. What does it mean that transfiguration might be about us? Another couple of aspects of transfiguration, it has echoes um, as we see the cloud disappear of Paul who says, Jesus understood equality with God, not something to be grasped not something to be clutched or held on to. And so there is the transfiguration, the seeing of the fullness, but also there is the, we're in the world, and we're in the world, and we're living there. And this isn't something that we grasp and clutch. It's something that's flowing through us. It flows through Jesus. It flows through the body. You know, spiritual transformation isn't about me accumulating a lot of cool spiritual experiences. It's about knowing that we are transfiguration and that that is constantly flowing through us. Another aspect. Jesus says to them, don't tell anyone about what you've seen until after I am raised from the dead. Don't tell anyone about what you've seen until we have passed through Jerusalem because it will make no sense. And in fact, it will be dangerous if you only take this part of the story. The transfiguration and Jerusalem are an interconnected reality. Because transfiguration, epiphany, to shine light upon, means to reveal things. And we know in our own lives, let alone in the culture around us, there are some things we just rather not have revealed. And particularly as the powers of the world are amassing around, you know, Episcopalians, it's like evangelism. We don't like to talk about powers and principalities because that sounds so Pentecostal, doesn't it? You know, evangelism, powers and principalities, isn't that what the fundamentalists talk about? But what the disciples are learning and they're seeing in Jesus and will continue to see in themselves is that to be transfiguration in the world means to reveal things, both in themselves and in the powers and in the institutions. And there are a lot of times we don't want that stuff revealed. And that's what Jerusalem is about. Don't bring this to us. We will resist this. And in fact, we have enough power to do away with you if you try and show too much and reveal too much. Don't tell anyone about this till after you've gone through Jerusalem. Because you yourselves won't know what it means. But also know that transfiguration and Jerusalem are inherently interconnected. I recently heard our bishop say, if you want to follow Jesus, consider how you look on wood. Is that making sense? No? Oh, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of quippy. 
Kind of frightening. Okay, that didn't go well, did it? But that's part of what he was offering in this sensibility. If we're going to receive transfiguration and be transfiguration, we're also going to Jerusalem. So, what might it mean that we are the transfiguration? What might it mean that transfiguration is not something to be clutched, but is something that is dynamically flowing all the time? And what might it mean that transfiguration and Jerusalem are interconnected? It's not a coincidence that we get this story on the last Sunday of Epiphany right before Ash Wednesday. And in fact, we get this story every year in the three-year cycle. Transfiguration as we are about to go into Lent. We get this story because we need to see and know who we are as a people, who God's people, who all people are. And from that, we begin to ask the questions of Lent. What is broken in us? What is broken in us communally? What is broken in our neighborhoods? What is broken in our world? And in our litany on Ash Wednesday on the first Sunday of, of Lent, we ask those questions and we confess that we have not taken care of the planet and thought about the generations after us. We have not thought about our commerce transactions. We have not been wise, wise and careful about the way we talk about people. And really the whole litany, save for about 5%, is communal stuff. It's about our relationships with each other, our relationships with the neighborhood, our relationships with the earth. Which leads me to wonder about practices in Lent. I've said many times, but just about every year, I think, that if you're feeling the need to give up dark chocolate in Lent, I will take that burden from you. Please, I will hold it. Well, I don't hold it for you. I will consume it for you. And if, in fact, the questions of Lent are communal questions, then it seems to me that our disciplines should do something to help us see that connection differently, to understand our connection to each other differently, to understand our connection to the neighborhood differently. And so whatever practices I'm taking on are something that's deepening my sense and experience of connectedness. Because those are the questions we ask in Lent. What does it mean to be transfiguration and live among the brokenness of our systems and our institutions, our communities? What does that look like? We are given transfiguration to see how it is that we live in the world. What is the fruit of that reflection? And so this is the story of Jesus. He is on his way to Jerusalem and he is transfiguration. And as we make this movement from Epiphany into Lent, that's our transition because we too are on our way to Jerusalem and we are transfiguration. And so one of the questions for our Lenten time is what do transfiguration and Jerusalem have to do with each other.